KCSBFM Santa Barbara 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Leica Sapers, KCSB's Archives Coordinator. This is a show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. On tonight's show, KCSB turns 60, and we're celebrating with a 60th anniversary alumni reunion this weekend during the UCSB All Gaucho Reunion. Tonight, you'll hear from some of our early station leaders, including an interview with our founder, Bill Harrison. You'll hear what inspired him to start KCSB and what he thinks of the station now. First, you'll hear from former KCSB news director and general manager, Cyrus Godfrey. He was at KCSB in the late 1960s to 1970. This was a time of rebellion on college campuses across the nation. Only a few months before, four unarmed students at Kent State University in Ohio were killed by National Guard troops. In Isla Vista, protesters burned down the Bank of America, and KCSB was ordered to temporarily stop broadcasting. KCSB General Manager Godfrey recalls what it was like on the UCSB campus and in Isla Vista during this time. It was mostly anti-war sentiment at Santa Barbara. Before I was general manager, I was news director, and we did have some student unrest. We had the police come to the station once, actually, because we had tape recordings of a rally where some, I can't remember what they called the group, it was a black group, spoke and somebody complained that there was profanity in their speeches and the police were maybe going to prosecute. And we had the tapes and I didn't want to turn over the tapes because of the newsman privilege. And that's when I was still news director. And that may have been about a year before the bank burning. Now that I'm a lawyer, that's a whole interesting situation that the police could come to a radio station without a warrant and just say, give me the tapes and, and think that, you know, the station would do that. Uh, I guess they felt we were a podunk student station, so we might do it. Or then in Santa Barbara town itself, I felt, especially the police, were just so damn stupid that maybe a radio station there would do it. But I can't remember all the student unrest. I, you know, I was not that liberal then. I'm probably more liberal now than I was then. Um, a lot of students, you know, were just there kind of wanting to have an education. I would definitely say you did not have more than 50% of the student body being involved in protests and things like that. It might have been 25%. But my whole point of view from the standpoint of being news director and other people agreed with this was that see there was a criticism that the campus newspaper which originally was called the El Gaucho was taking sides that we were just going to be completely neutral and we were just going to talk about what was happening now television journalism or radio journalism can do that a little bit better than newspaper because I think people expect more from newspapers but that was it we were just going to say what was happening you know the the bank burning. I can't. Re- yeah, it was it was after Kunstler. Kunstler spoke and got everybody all riled up. And I remember the vice chancellor Stephen Goodspeed felt he did that on purpose and used all this language to get people to go out and riot. And he was very unhappy about that. And I didn't think all that highly of Kunstler myself. Uh, I didn't even go to the speech. But we carried it live on KCSB because we had a, uh, you probably still do, we had a dedicated line to Campus Field or whatever it was. Then people started protesting right away. And my memory, and I'm pretty sure this is right, you can go back to the old El Gauchos and read as to how all this transpired. People started doing things like, you know, smashing windows, but not at Bank of America or other place and doing things. And the Santa Barbara Police Department had a very limited force there. And I don't know if this was all the same night, but one night 
they turned over a police car and set it on fire. So it was either that night or the next night that the Santa Barbara Police Department basically decided, okay, we're going to abandon Isla Vista. And I've learned from my work in Los Angeles that that actually is a common tactic for police, that if they feel they can't control the situation and they feel that possibly an officer's life is at stake or that they're going to get hurt, they'll, they'll just run. They'll get, they'll get out of there and, you know, let everybody else die or something like that. But it's kind of like, you know, we come first and the police are gone. So the bank would have never burned had that not happened. And when I heard this, I was at the station and I walked over there and was watching this. And I don't think people set out to burn the Bank of America. The bank had very flimsy doors and people broke them open. And I think maybe they were, first of all, looking to see if there was any money lying around or there were any documents of use or something like that. And this was all really basically an anti-war thing. And also, you know, the country was dominated by capitalist pigs and Dow Chemical and the big corporations. And, you know, we have that issue now, too, about how there's enormous wealth in this country and then the middle class is possibly going away. And we have a lot of very poor people. And that was an issue then. That was a big thing behind the protests. Although, I mean, it's worse now than it was then, but that was that was part of the protest. So I think they just wanted to break in and cause some problems. And I was there and I saw it. And I, you know, I certainly wasn't going to do anything illegal, but I didn't see somebody do it. But I could see that somebody had set a fire to a trash can. I mean, just because, you know, people are like, you know, mob mobs are weird mentalities, you know, and they like they want to cause destruction. And I don't think anybody expected this, but the fire in the trash can, it was like one of those small trash cans, you know, that's underneath somebody's desk. It spread and all of a sudden it started going through the bank and it just grew on itself and got bigger and bigger. And because the police had abandoned Isla Vista, no firemen were coming in either. So had you not had those two things, I don't think the Bank of America would have burned down. The, the fire department would have come and probably would have put out the fire. What I read in uh, Dick's book was that they blocked all of the streets into Isla Vista so the, the, no one could get in, no cars. They might have done that. You probably know that after that, when they couldn't handle the situation, they brought in these really horrible Los Angeles County sheriffs who then broke into students' apartments and beat everybody up. But had they had sufficient force, they just would have moved those cars out of the way and come in. Yeah, and then the National Guard, from what I was looking at, the, uh, the National Guard arrived on February 27th, so the day after the bank burning. Right. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Well, then, then Isla Vista was shut down. They, there was a curfew, and you couldn't go out after a certain time. Like, maybe it was even maybe like 7 at night. Do you remember the point where um, Casey, the sheriffs, I think it was, came in to tr- take KCSB off the air? Well, the station actually was shut down. But let me, let me just tell you how it happened. So my memory's a little hazy, but I think it was after, I'm almost positive, it was after the bank burned, and there were still demonstrations. And we had people that like would go to people's apartments or, or things like that, and they would report on what the situation looked like in Isla Vista, there were a lot of National Guard troops here or there or this or that, because we didn't want people going out of their apartments and getting hurt. That was our only concern, really. 
But the sheriff got all upset. I mean, you know, policemen tend to be control freaks. And it's like you're reporting on our positions, and people are going to shoot us, and this is terrible. And I don't think I ever got a request in any form to not do that. Maybe I did one. But anyway, what happened was all of a sudden I was at the station, and it was late. It was like 2 in the morning. And the vice chancellor, Stephen Goodspeed, called me. He said, you know, somebody else answered, but he said he wanted to talk to me. And he said, I'm here at the sheriff's command center, and I've been listening to the radio, and you've been talking about where troops are and police officers are. I said, yeah, that's so nobody gets hurt. Well, they're really upset about it, and they have ordered me to tell you that the station is to go off the air immediately. And I kind of went, what? You're telling me the sheriff is ordering the station off the air? And he said, yes, that's right. Mm. And I said, well, kind of like on what basis does he have the authority to do that? And, he, you know, he, this is like, I'm paraphrasing, but this is like more or less what he said. And I mean, I knew this. And he said, well, uh, you have an FCC license. The license is held by the regents of the University of California. It's not held by the ASUCSB. And so the regents decide, and I'm speaking for the chancellor, and we're telling you to shut down. And so we did. And we were shut down for like about five days. Uh, the faculty advisor suggested to me to maybe go back on the air that I go down to Santa Barbara and meet with the chief of police. And they arranged the meeting, or he did, the faculty advisor, and I did. And the guy was just, well, I'm just going to use the word. The guy was a complete just the worst kind of cop you could ever imagine. He kept me waiting for three hours. And then when I got into his office, he said, I don't like you students, and I don't like what you're doing, and that radio station is not going back on the air. Wow. So I just left. What, what can you do? Then Santa Barbara had a really horrible police department. I think they were partly corrupt, and not only that, the main thing was they were unbelievably stupid. Sheriff Webster was one of the stupidest people I've ever met in my entire life. And then what about that popular sociology uh, professor who was denied tenure? He was, you know, the, the university uh, didn't like him for his radical views. And um, that was Bill Allen. Yeah. And that seems to was be. That? Yeah. And that seemed to be kind of early on what what was sparking some unrest with. Um, with the well, students. yeah, it was all part of that. You know, th that was mainly an issue of students felt. Well, Santa Barbara, I felt, was a great campus, and you know, today it's regarded as being really a wonderful campus, I mean, academically and all that, but students felt that the university, system-wide, but there as well, didn't place enough value on the teaching ability of the professor. They just wanted the professor to publish a lot or get a lot of research grants, which brought in money to the university, and if he was a bad teacher, to hell with it, we could just put up with it. I mean, who knows why he didn't get tenure, but... It might have been a justifiable decision. The students were all worked up about it, though, or a lot of students were worked up about it. And they were calling for an open hearing, which, from what I researched, the Academic Senate denied that. Do you remember when the Harry Krishnas came to Isla Vista? Oh, I remember that. That was just like, oh, it went on forever. We even had in one of our newscasts, you know, because we, we didn't have portable microphones, so, like, people would call in from, from uh, phone booths. And we had a lot of reporters out there. And they said, okay, well, here's the latest news. It's not that much, you know, going on out here right now, except somebody got really upset and beat up a bunch of Hare Krishnas. That, that was the news for that hour.
Now, what do you remember about Reagan when he called uh, those who were protesting in Ilevista cowardly little bums? Because this is when he was governor, right? Right. See, I was there so long ago. I was very lucky. My first two years at UCSB, that campus, well, all all the campuses had no tuition. We paid no tuition. Reagan pushed and pushed and pushed, and finally my third year there, and I covered that up at the Regents meeting in Berkeley, he got the Regents to vote to institute tuition. So California residents had to pay tuition. That was the first time, and it wasn't very large then. It was maybe like $100 a quarter, but I remember talking to Chancellor Cheadle at that Regents meeting, and Chancellor Cheadle really was a wonderful person. And he said, what really worries me is you have a lot of students who can't afford tuition, and it's not going to stay at $100. It's just going to become very expensive, I think. And he was absolutely right about that. That's, just, that's what's happened. Yeah. I don't yeah, know it's just terrible. How did your experience of being news director and then general manager of KCSB shape you in your career and then the rest of your life? Probably the principal reason I went to law school. The DA in Santa Barbara then was a guy named David Manier, who really was another jerk. And I guess for some reason, he's, he, you know, there was pressure, you know, why don't you go to Isla Vista and why don't you meet with people, you know, Santa Barbara government people and see if we can, like, ratchet down the tensions, you know, make things a little bit calmer. And so he had a group meeting with maybe about 10 people in, Isla, in some Isla Vista apartment. And he just kept saying things like, well, the law won't let you do that, and the law won't let you do that. And I mentioned, you know, well, what about Judge Lodge? There was some, there were a whole bunch of people arrested for unlawful assembly, assembly, like 100, and they were put in jail overnight. And Judge Lodge just let them all go. And he was outraged about that. He said, that's not, you know, you know, and, you know, but so I kind of then decided, well, I, first of all, I don't think he's telling the truth. That's what I decided. And I said, I'm going to go to law school so I, I can talk back to somebody like this. That was KCSB's Lisa Osborne's conversation with Cyrus Godfrey. He was KCSB's news director and general manager in the late 1960s to 1970. This is Inside Isla Vista. I am Leica Sapers. Archives Coordinator with KCSB-FM, and we are commemorating our KCSB 60th anniversary. That's right, KCSB has been serving the greater Santa Barbara community for six decades. This Saturday afternoon, we're hosting a KCSB alumni reunion with radio station tours and a dinner. If you or someone you know has been involved with KCSB in the past 60 years, you're encouraged to come out and celebrate with us. You can find out details about what's being planned and how to RSVP for the dinner at kcsb.org. KCSB's founder, Bill Harrison, will be honored at the 60th anniversary reunion this weekend. He tells me he's totally blown away by what KCSB has become. I started our conversation by asking him what inspired him to want to start Radio Navajo, or KCSB's original name, while he was a student at UC Santa Barbara in 1962. I'm gonna be at the 60th anniversary coming up very Mm -hmm. soon. And been thinking about what I might say if I were asked to give a talk there. And one of the words that kept coming up for me is serendipity, is how in my life at that time, particularly, but lots of times, things just kind of happen out of the left corner of your eye, so to speak. And if you go for them, then things happen. And so basically, this started for me. I had an interest in junior high and in theater, especially technical theater, and did that 
a lot and was really into that. And then I discovered when I went to high school, Santa Barbara High School, that they had a class in radio that you could take instead of English. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time, something instead of English sounded like a good idea. And I was fascinated with the idea of radio. So I took that class. And as a result, we did a few programs in the studios of what was then KTMS radio down in the news press building. And that kind of got me started. And I wound up working in high school, both for KTMS, but also and more at that time for KIST, which was another AM station downtown at that time. And I had already gotten involved working in commercial radio part time and really loved it and all that. So at the time I was a sophomore, I lived at home my freshman year of college. As a sophomore, I got to move into the dorm. I had earned enough money the previous summer to pay the dorm fees and was also working for KTMS to do what was called the color and commercial for football broadcasts. And the Gauchos then had a football team. Mm -hmm. So I was involved in doing uh, some work on each of those games. And one of them was in Fresno. And it was in, I just looked it up the other day. It was sometime in September. I went to Fresno, took a friend with me from the dorm. And when you're in the press box in an away game, you meet the broadcasters that are local as well, who are there doing the same thing you are. So we spoke to uh, this fellow about what was then just kind of a offhand conversation about, wouldn't it be kind of neat to start a student radio station someday? He said, well, come, come over and see me tomorrow at, at the station after we'd done the game the night before. And it turns out he gave us an old Army surplus field transmitter that he happened to have because we happened to meet him. And this all just fell into our laps. So we said, okay, we'll take it. We threw it in the back of the station wagon and brought it back to the campus. And as you suggest, I was living at that time in Navajo Hall as part of Anacapa Hall. And so we took it up and found with a couple of guys that were engineering students as well, that we could convert that to be a carrier current transmitter. And that was how we initially got the cue to go ahead and start something in the dorms with a radio station. And everybody in our, in our wing got pretty excited about it. We pulled together our tape recorders and our record players and whatever music we had and a microphone that we found and really cobbled together this little station, feeding its signal into the dorm, which is what carrier current is. And that wound up being the start of it. Everybody pitched in and we ran, you know, a couple hours in the evening, something like that. Ran around the building seeing if anybody could hear it. The signal was a little weak, but we got through. And it just was one of those things that everybody was turned on about. <clears throat> what also happened to be the case, serendipitously, if you will, is the resident assistant of Navajo Hall was Joe Sorrentino. And Joe subsequently ran for president of the Associated Students and won. And so he had been in the middle of this big interest in student radio, in what we were then calling Radio Navajo, and became president of ASUA. And we approached him about moving the station into the uh, coverage of Associated Students and not just the dorm. Mm-hmm. And they all picked up on that and said yes. And we got some space over in a, one of the buildings associated with the Student Union, moved everything over there and became part of that operation. And so by the next uh, spring, 
we were we were KCSB. I have done a ton of research on that story, and it it never fails to amaze me how just intrepid all of you were in in making the station. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your initial team. Who are you working with when you created the station in Anacapa Hall? Well, it's just just guys that lived in the in that area in the dorm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe eight or 10 of us that were principally involved in keeping things going, you know, in the evenings. We had a couple of people, like I said earlier, who were engineering students, and so they could help with that. I had some technical background, but not as much as was needed to retune that transmitter. One thing that's not in the records anywhere that might be of interest is the frequency. And I think it's KJ, is it KJUC that's now the alternative training station for KJUC? That's on a frequency of 770 mm-hmm. kilohertz. So the reason I, I picked that frequency, and the reason I picked that is that's one of the clear channel AM stations frequencies. And the closest radio station that had that frequency is KOB in Albuquerque. And I happened, I was a ham radio operator of a sort as a kid when I was in junior high. I was really interested in the FCC and knew a fair amount about how they were licensing stations and different things. So I thought that would be good because no way could we hear KOB in the Santa Barbara area, which means it wouldn't be interfering with what they're doing. We wouldn't interfere and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I spent a couple of evenings driving all over the foothills there in Galita Valley with my radio on in the car, trying to see if I could pick up KOB anywhere, just to make sure we weren't going to be on the edge of a, a conflict. We weren't. So that's how the guys retuned that transmitter that was gifted to us to 770. And apparently, I looked it up the other day, apparently 770 is still one of the frequencies being used. So your team was mostly a bunch of engineers, no one with a passion for radio and music. It seems like you were spearheading the theater radio side of things. Well, I was certainly into it for the radio. I wasn't that big of a fan of a lot of popular music at, at the time. But many other people were, and uh, we had a fellow in the dorm, I think his name is Roy Hager, and he could sit down at the, at the piano down in the, in, the, um, in the lobby of the dorm and start playing at six in the evening and still be playing something, you know, at 10 at night. He just played all the time. Well, so he was very into music and was a part of it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the first types of music that you were playing on the station? I know that there was a cultural vendetta against rock and roll at the time. Yeah, that was a little later when we actually got KCSB going in several dorms and, and the thing was, and in the student union, the PA system of the student union was also part of our listening audience. And my concern had been to be pretty conservative about not upsetting the community and that sort of thing. And that rock was still considered a really new and outer edges sort of thing that wasn't real popular necessarily among the general population. And so to keep things from just becoming raucous, I was very much encouraging that we not play hard rock on the station. Now I've learned since then that the rumors have been down through the years that all that I would allow anybody to play was classical music. Mm-hmm. That's not true. <laughs> all kinds of music was played, but it was, it was mainly just to keep from the hard rock stuff so that we wouldn't uh, 
give anybody any reason to get upset about students running a station. Now, one thing I'll, I will add while I think about it, at the time we were moving up beyond that first year or so and deciding this was really going to go somewhere, and we wanted to apply for an FM license, that had to be done through the regents because they're the entity that actually owns the university and, and would be the licensee. So I spent some time on the phone helping the regents lawyers in Berkeley prepare the license application before I left the campus to transfer to Michigan State University for actual degrees in broadcasting, which is what I did. Mm -hmm. um, the, at the same time, this is just hearsay. I don't have a record of this, but UCLA also wanted the regents to allow them to apply for a station and they were declined. And I think it was because the UCSB campus is far enough out of town that a 10 watt low power educational license station wouldn't really even reach into Santa Barbara. So there was no likelihood of conflict coming up between the community and students running a radio station on their own. But UCLA, of course, is right in the middle of Westwood and the whole LA basin, and, and they were declined. And I looked this up the other day, and apparently UCLA does have a radio station claiming to start about the same time, but it's only an AM station. I know that we are the first UC station, so that's very impressive. And I, I'm, as far as I know as well, UCLA only has an AM station. So, but based on what yeah. you were saying, I assume no outwardly heinous interactions with the FCC. It was just you backing the regents in your application to FM Air. No, I had, I had a ham license, in, like I said, in junior high, so I had some connection with the FCC personally. But in terms of this station, no. It was all done when it, when it came time to really pursue this. Dr. Cheadle, the chancellor, was very, very supportive of us and wanted to help see this happen. And I know he put in a good word up and down the, the line of authority uh, to help us get this approved. Mm -hmm. But I personally didn't. I don't, I don't know that there was any resistance because the, the low power 10 watt licenses for educational FM was a relatively new thing with the FCC at that time. And we fit the bill perfectly for what they had created that for. So I think it went fine. Now, what, to, to finish that story out, what really amused me and pleased me was when last year, after, of course, KCSB has increased its power and coverage over these years by a lot. And it won the Santa Barbara Independence Best Radio Station of Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. And that was a nice coda to the earlier issues, not to upset Santa Barbara by having a student radio station hearable in Santa Barbara. <laughs> it turned out that it sits quite well. KCSB was voted Santa Barbara's Best Radio Station in 2020 by readers of the Santa Barbara Independent, and we consider it a huge honor. You'll hear the rest of my interview with KCSB founder Bill Harrison next Wednesday at 5 p.m. on Inside Isla Vista, here on 91.9 KCSB-FM and streaming at kcsb.org. Check out our website for details on KCSB's 60th anniversary alumni reunion, happening on Saturday at KCSB. Go to kcsb.org for more information. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. I'm Leica Sapers, KCSB's Archives Coordinator, and our theme music is Siesta by Jossel. This is KCSB 91.9 FM.